went down to Starbucks yesterday to take a look at my sermon, make sure everything was in order, and I had found that I had accidentally deleted most of it. But don't worry, we're going to talk about something today. Uh, Actually, after I saw Brenda do that time with children, I was like, next time, let's just have her do that. Our text this morning comes from Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia. Originally, Paul wrote this letter in response to some new teachers that had come to town, who had been preaching an alternative gospel to what the Christians in Galatia had originally been taught. The false teachers also sought to discredit the apostleship of Paul. So Paul writes this letter. And for Paul, salvation, which is of the utmost importance, comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and not by works of the law. But these false teachers who had come to town proclaimed salvation through Christ and the law. One must believe in Jesus and absorb, observe Torah, which would have included the practice of circumcision. And we're not just talking about circumcising newborn baby boys here. But if an adult Gentile man wanted to join the church... They would want him to be circumcised. That's a really hard bargain to drive for church membership. Here at Mountain View, you just have to take a class. There is no cutting. There is no chopping. It's very simple. But for Paul, this was not the gospel. One does not enter the family of God based on merit, but by grace. And so in this letter, Paul is fighting for the very soul of the churches in Galatia. Paul tells the Galatians, you are no longer a slave, but a child. He writes in 3.23, before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. You were once enslaved by the law, but Christ has come to set you free from the old system of atonement, from the old ways of doing things. Faith, faith is the only prerequisite to join this journey, and Christ will teach you the rest along the way. The Galatians were once enslaved, enslaved under the law, But now, with the influence of these false teachers, they are being tempted to go back to the enslavement of strict Torah observance. The old system, that which they knew, that which was comfortable to them. Yes, it was exclusive and it was religiously demanding, but in many ways, it was simpler. Dogma and ritual and legalism can be simple. To be black and white does not require the hard work and the patience of unity and love. Paul says that even the Apostle Peter was tempted 
to resort back to the old ways of legalism and exclusivity. In Galatians 2, Paul writes about how he had rebuked Peter in Antioch because Peter initially would eat with the Gentiles during mealtime. But once certain Jewish Christians came to town, Peter withdrew. Paul says Peter kept himself separate for fear of the circumcision fraction. Paul calls this hypocrisy and not consistent with the truth of the gospel. He sees this works-based righteousness as a form of enslavement. In the ancient world, the slave market was a massive, a massive economic enterprise. And of course, slavery continues to exist today with many women and children and some men still enslaved around the world. Recently saw a bit that CNN did where they sent reporters into a, a slave auction in Africa. But in the ancient world, slavery was a visible and tangible part of everyday life. Slaves were obtained through military conquest or by simple purchase. Many were born into slavery. Slaves were a valuable economic asset. And freedom for the slave comes by payment. A ransom must be made. It's interesting that Paul uses the word redeem in our scripture this morning. The word redeem means to deliver, to set free, to rescue. Redeem is a word that would have been used and supported in the slave market industry. And so ransom and redemption are primary ways that New Testament writers try to explain salvation. We have been enslaved by law, sin, and death, and Christ has come to pay our ransom. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that you were bought with a price. For when the fullness of time had come, we read this morning, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem, to purchase, to rescue, to set free those who have been enslaved so that they might receive adoption as children. Paul uses the phrase, the fullness of time, as another way of saying that Christ came when and how exactly God had intended. And God's plan will continue to unfold under his sovereign care. And it's important for us to realize that this powerful, sovereign God desires to see each of his children set free from despair. Jesus was born of a woman, meaning he became one of us. God lowered himself, became human in order to pay a human debt born under the law and yet without sin. And he came to bring redemption, to deliver us from whatever prison keeps us from him 
from whatever prison keeps us from flourishing, from whatever prison keeps us from loving our neighbor. Scripture teaches that all are enslaved. Galatians teaches that we can be enslaved by the law. Romans teaches that we can be enslaved to sin. Hebrews teaches that we can be enslaved to fear, the fear of death. Second Peter says we are enslaved by whatever has mastered us. Whether it be the law with our impossible attempts at perfection or sin and the false sense of comfort it brings or fear, a state that we can linger in far too long. Looking back on this last year in 2017, who or what was your master? What has enslaved you? Anger? Bitterness? Anxiety? Hopelessness? Addiction? Indifference? Busyness? Whatever has imprisoned you, remember, Christ wants to set you free. Christ came to set you free. Jesus says in Luke 4 that the Spirit of God has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. It is God's will and desire for you to find the freedom that you so desperately need. But do you have the faith? Do you have the courage to follow Jesus out of your prison cell? Remember the Exodus event when the Israelites complained often, saying that they would have preferred to go back to Egypt, to go back under the yoke of slavery instead of follow God into their inheritance. They didn't have the faith that required for the journey. My favorite movie, one that I've referenced here before, The Shawshank Redemption, tells a fictional story about two friends imprisoned at Shawshank State Penitentiary, which is a cruel and dark prison. But at one point during the film, a fellow prisoner named Brooks makes parole, and he has been set for release. Brooks is a sweet, elderly man in the movie, he is in charge of the library, and he's been at Shawshank Prison for over 50 years. And when he finds out that he's been set for release, Brooks is so overcome by fear of the outside world and the unknown that he, he decides he wants to stay. And so he attempts to kill another inmate, who is also his friend, but is stopped Red, one of the main characters, 
in the movie played by Morgan Freeman calls Brooks institutionalized. Speaking about Shawshank State Penitentiary, Red says, these walls are funny. First you hate them, then you get used to them. Enough time passes, it gets so you depend on them. That's institutionalized. And when Brooks finally leaves Shawshank, the outside world is so overwhelming for him that he ends up taking his own life. Many prefer the prison. I read a 2013 study that surveyed 30 different states in the United States and found that up to 70% of prisoners released end up getting arrested again within five years. In ministry, we see this all the time with people on their spiritual journey. (laughs) Seems like people often prefer the prison. They're willing to miss out on the fullness of God, on the fullness of life that God so lavishly gives because they are too afraid, too comfortable, too sad, too wounded, too angry. But the truth is that God wants to come and free us from all of that stuff as well. Our text this morning poses a very serious identity question. Who are you? Who do you want to be? A slave or a child? A child of God. Christ came to redeem, to rescue us from slavery so that we might receive adoption as children. In ancient Greece and Rome, adoption entailed a significant identity shift. To change from one family to another was a huge deal in the ancient world. Your family and lineage was a critical factor for your status in society. Your family shaped your religious, social, economic, and political identity. Far more so than it does today. And so to be adopted into God's family is a transformation of identity. From slave to child. From lost to found from dead to alive. We are different because of Jesus. When we are adopted, we receive the blessing of God. We become heirs with Christ, holding on to a promise of resurrection with Jesus. And we join God's family. We read in verse 6 from our text that God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The Spirit of God is the voice within you that longs for connection with your Creator, your Father. Our hearts cry, Abba, Father. 
Abba is an Aramaic name used by children in the Near East and the ancient world, both young and adult children, a term that they would use for their father. It was an intimate term. Less like father and more like daddy. I know a number of Christians who are uncomfortable with referring to God as father. I think for many it has to do with our poor earthly examples of fathers. Because when we look at the nature and character of God, we find that he is the perfect heavenly father beyond that which we have ever known or seen on this earth. And although God is beyond gender, God offers provision and protection and the tender care of our Abba, our Daddy. In the final verse of our text this morning, Paul says, you are no longer a slave but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. It's interesting that for most of the letter, and for most of Paul's writing for that matter, when he writes to churches, he will write in the second person plural. Kind of like a Texan. He says, y'all, all the time. It's very annoying, right? But meaning, Paul likes to speak to the church collectively, as one community, as one unit. He wants to say y'all, because y'all are one. But Paul does something different in verse 7. He changes his tone. And he speaks in the second person singular. He doesn't say y'all. He says you. You are a child of God. Paul is not just talking to the church as a whole. Paul is speaking to the individual. It is as if Paul is saying, you are a child of God, not the person sitting on your left or the person sitting on your right. God is getting very personal in this passage. He's saying, you are a child of God. I am singling you out right now, God says. You are not a slave. You are my child. And I am your Abba. So listen to the voice within that cries out, Abba. And remember who you are. We are no longer slaves. In 2018, we will no longer be slaves, for you are a child of God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the gift of freedom. For in that freedom, we find hope for something better, for something bigger, for something beautiful and pure that is beyond that which we have known. And so, God, we present ourselves to you on this New Year's Eve, looking into the year 2018, and we ask that you would come. Set us free from all those things that hold us back from you. Remind us of our identity 
that you paid the price for. And Lord, as we prepare our tithes and our offerings as an act of worship, we ask that you would take these resources, that you would use them and bless this community, the further of your kingdom. Amen.